0: andrew to come up you may be seated
1: thank you jesus thank you lord i'm just thinking about that line you father the orphan i'm just thinking about how sometimes you might feel alone and god i just pray right now for anyone who feels alone anyone who feels abandoned lord god i just thank you that lord jesus you father the orphan your kindness makes us whole god i just pray that lord god that we would know your comfort god that we would know your peace Lord Jesus, we, we, that we would come to you and, and find rest, Lord God, in Jesus' name. God, I just thank you for, for ministering to us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, even now, Lord God. Lord, as Peter comes and shares the word in a moment, Lord God, we just thank you, God, for speaking to us, for speaking to our hearts, and Lord, we, we come to you to be fathered. Lord, to, to be fathered means for a child to, to, to come with humility and, and Lord we, we come to you with humility this morning, God. We ask that you would lead us, that you would speak to us. We thank you, Lord God, for the, the work that you're doing through Peter and the ministry that he's involved with Lord God. We just thank you Jesus for, for speaking to us as Lord this morning in Jesus name. Amen. I'll ask Peter to come and uh, maybe Eric, do you want to grab the pulpit for me? <laughs> uh, I was, I've been really blessed by uh, Peter's ministry through family voice australia who which is no longer the uh, australian uh director director but um i've really been blessed by their, their ministry and i remember before we got married i said to rochelle one day i said rochelle would you still marry me if i went into politics she kind of looked at me like what are you talking about <laughs> but there's something that stirred within me for a long time not to say I'm not, I'm not going to politics it's okay not that that's a bad thing to do is it peter not at all. Um, but we need godly politicians in our nation. Um, I think it was probably around the time I watched the movie Amazing Grace, and I just thought, Lord, we need godly men and women to rise up in our nation to, to in, within politics. And I, I thank Peter and the Family Voice and other ministries as well that, that really help us understand what is happening in our political sphere in this world. Um, we've been talking about being the village that makes disciples, but if we grow disciples in this nation but the nation oppresses the disciples, it's, it's a crippling thing. And we want to do all we can to, to keep the Christian heritage of our nation. And uh, I'm not going to steal your message though, Peter. Go. Let's for welcome a, Peter this morning as he good. shares with yeah, us this good. morning. <laughs> thank you.
0: Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, so great to be here with you. What a wonderful church. And thank you for all the great work you're doing here and around the world. And so we praise Jesus for you, standing strong in him in a post-Christian world and assembling and praising, worshiping, and making disciples. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I'm gonna preach from Joshua chapter two, five and six, but I just want to share a little bit about political history that I hope you might find interesting. I certainly did. The Australian Labor Party And I'm not going to try and persuade you to vote one way or the other in November, on the 24th of November. This is not to do with that. This is just some history that relates to what's happening in our culture today. So the Australian Labor Party was formed in around about 1890. The Australian Communist Party was formed in about 1920. In the early part of last century, Communism grew quite quickly in Australia. There was a lot of growth in members to the Communist Party and the Communist communist people or influences, took hold of the unions and also the Australian Labor Party. So Communism got a stronghold in Australian politics and in Unionism. During the Second World War, Communism grew even faster because we were allies to Stalin's Russia and the communism communism took a big spurt forward in 1955 because of uh, a lot of strife in the Australian Labor Party between communist members and non-communist members there was a split in the Labor Party in the Australian Labor Party and two parties were formed the Australian Labor Party which continued with its Communist philosophies and the Australian labor Brackets anti-communist party, so it's split into two the Australian labor Continuing with communism party is the government that we have today in Victoria the Australian labor anti-communist party quickly became the Democratic Labor Party and so The government we have today is a socialist party. Communism is a bad word. Since the fall of uh, Soviet Russia and our communism in Soviet Russia and other communist countries and the deaths of around about a hundred million people due to communism, communism became a very unfavorable word. And so today you hear more about socialism, like, for instance, the newly formed Australian Socialist Party or the Victorian Socialist Party here in our state. But socialism, which is written into the constitution of the Australian Labor Party, aims to bring business, production, capital, education under the power of the state. The opposite of that is distributism, which aims to push away all of control of business, capital, production, and education to individuals, families, and parents. So you've got these two opposing forces. Socialism, wanting to be a state-ruled environment and distributism, which is pushing away power to small business and smaller groups of people. And that's the environment that we live in today in this post-Christian world. A strong component of socialism is, or socialism leading to communism, is atheism. And so our current government has a strong anti-Christian focus. And that's why CRE has been pushed out of schools. That's why we've got this strong push um, into schools of the Safe Schools Program, the Respectful Relationships Programme, early childhood sex education, catching on early, catching on later, and other programs that are intended or designed to break down the existing moral and religious structure of society. It's part of the socialist push leading eventually to communism. And so we find ourselves in this incredible uh, spiritual battle between Uh, these strong forces and I guess that's something that we need to uh, look into investigate ourselves I've got a video here that describes the the rise of socialism or Marxism in America you might want to get hold of one of those and certainly pray into this spiritual battle which is uh, intending to uh, subvert our children to break down our families and recreate our country in some sort of new world order, under socialism or communism. So the Democratic Labor Party, which is what I belong to, is just one of the parties that is uh, pushing against this uh, rising socialist push. And I won't talk any more about that. I've got two books that I brought. You might have purchased these when I came last time, I'm not sure. Um, This book, Haven, is, is fiction it's a futuristic fiction it describes australia in 2050 after the success of environmentalism or socialism so not going to happen because we're here to fight and win and jesus has already won the battle and of course we're representing him and he wants to see his kingdom come on earth and i'm sure that's what's going to happen in our state and our country but just in, you may be interested in an alternative view of what happens if we don't stand up and see his kingdom come. So that's part one and that's part two. And it contains violence, so uh, be a little bit careful if you do purchase that. Now I want to talk from Joshua chapter 2, 5 and 6. And I'm sorry about the heaviness of that <laughs> little talk. And... Uh, it's a little bit new to some people this this battle between socialism and and Christianity, uh, but of course it helps you to understand why things are happening the way they are. Joshua chapter two. I'm just going to read verse one here. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, "Go view the land, especially Jericho." So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Now go right over to chapter 5 and I'm going to start at verse 10. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take the sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once, this you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Verse 20, chapter 6. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us, for teaching us, for inspiring us, and for taking us, Lord, on the next stage of our journey whether it be this next hour, this next day, this next week, or the rest of our lives. Lord, we reaffirm that we are your children. We're called by you and we have a destiny that's in your hands. So Lord, I pray today in Jesus' name that we would once again release our lives into your destiny. Lay them down just as you laid them down coming to earth, giving your life on a cross. Lay down our lives, Lord, to our cross, our destiny, our future, in Jesus' name. In putting together this story, I've looked carefully into information from archaeologists, a number of commentaries on the Bible, the Bible itself, historians. And I want to tell you a story about the characters in this historical account the Hebrews Hebrews found themselves on the banks of the River Jordan they'd been 40 years in the wilderness 38 of those years had been because of their disobedience or lack of faith they'd come to this place before but now here they were again and Joshua the new leader sent two men two spies, into the country to look particularly at the city of Jericho, that great city that was their first obstacle. And so these two men, one of them was named Salmon. Salmon was a leader in Israel. He was called the Prince of Judah. In fact, his father had been the leader of the tribe of Judah, but his father had died in the wilderness And so now Salmon was leader of the tribe of Judah. He was the prince of Judah. He was also a warrior, a brave man, a trusted man, a faithful man. A man whom Joshua thought was one of those within this whole army of Israel that he could trust to go across into this land and come back with a report. And so Salmon and his comrade, his friend, swam across this swollen river the river in flood, the River Jordan, and went into the land of Canaan. And they came to the city of Jericho. And they went into the city of Jericho because the the gates were wide open. Even though there was trembling in the camp because of the arrival of the Hebrew army on the other side of the river, the gates were still wide open. And they went in and they looked around and they, they saw these massive walls. And the walls sometimes described as a wall, was actually three walls. The first wall rose up quite high, but the second wall was beyond that and above it. And next, after that, came a long slope. And above that, another wall, a third wall. And so these three walls and the slope made a massive wall 20 metres high and 17 metres thick. On the slope, in between the walls, were built houses. And it was called the slums of Jericho. So the lower class people of Jericho lived outside the first wall, but within the other walls. And Rahab the prostitute had her house in that place. And her window looked out over the plains of Jericho. Salmon and his friend spied out the goings on in the city of Jericho. And amazingly, when it came time for them to rest, when they were looking for some food, they found their way to the house of Rahab. It's incredible how God can take hold of our destiny. And while we think we're taking steps in a certain godly direction, God has this overarching view where he places us in the very position that he wants us. And I think all of us have this calling on our lives that when we we go forward in God, when we even go into a dangerous or difficult place and I know there would be many people here today who are coming up against challenges in their lives but when God takes us into that place it's sometimes far beyond the destiny that we ever thought possible and these two spies came into Rahab's house of all the houses in this massive city of Jericho they came to Rahab's house the only person In this whole city that believed in their God who trusted their God as Lord of all and of course the leaders of the city were had discovered that there were spies in the city and they perhaps heard that they were going to Rahab's house and they approached Rahab and Rahab uh, made a diversion and she said no they they went away before the gates of the city were shut They've left, you better pursue them. And she hid them on the roof of her house. And after the king's men had gone, she lowered them down from her window and helped them to escape. But she did a deal with these two spies. She said, if I'm going to help you to escape, I demand something of you as well when you come back to take this land, when you come back to destroy this city, I'm requesting that you would spare my family because I spared you. And they agreed with her and they said, yes, indeed, when we come back, when we take this city, we will spare you and your family, providing your whole family is inside this house. If, the ha- if, if your family is inside this house, we'll spare them. But if they're outside, we'll take no responsibility for their death. And providing you hang a scarlet cord out of the window of your house so that we know whose house is to be protected and as you've heard many times before this is this incredible picture of the blood of jesus christ this scarlet cord this scarlet cord that's over our house the blood of jesus that's over our house and over our families and indeed the historians say that when the Hebrews came back to destroy the city. And when they finally got into the city and they had this great war which destroyed the people of Jericho, Rahab had scarlet cords and material out of every door and window of her house. She wanted to be absolutely sure of salvation through the red cord or through the blood for us. And so the spies came back. They went back across the river and they came back to Joshua and they gave a good report and said the people who are in the land of Canaan are in fear. They're trembling. They're weakened. We can indeed take this land. And Joshua was so encouraged, I guess, by the fact that His spies had returned miraculously. In fact, they'd been been saved, they'd been helped by this incredible woman that they'd come across in in the city of Jericho, this this woman Rahab. And Joshua made a decision right then that when they came in, when the Hebrews came in, when they took the city, that Rahab would be granted lands in the division of Canaan. He made a decision to reward her. And so Joshua, following the Lord's command, sent the priests down to the water. And you know what happened when they put their feet in the River Jordan. Suddenly it began to bank up, right up to the town of Adam and then washed away down to the sea. And so the the Hebrew army and the priests marched across and started to assemble on the plains of Jericho. And we sort of picked this picture up when we started to read in chapter 5 where it says, Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, verse 10, at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And don't you just love this twilight feeling that we're also in this twilight time with the imminent arrival of Jesus and we're living in this dangerous time where Christianity is becoming an affront to our culture where in in days gone past when I was a young man everybody was going to church and it was it was nothing really unique to be a Christian but in these days Christianity has become anathema to the leaders quite often of our nation and there's always this push against Christianity and so we're dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit we're dependent on the truth of the Word of God but it's Twilight And we are the ones called to be here in this twilight hour, the most exciting time of history. And Joshua, several days into that camp, walks to look again at this impregnable city. A city very difficult to get into. Now, of course, it's completely shut up. And he meets a theophany. He meets Jesus. He meets an appearance of Jesus. He meets Jesus himself on the plains of Jericho. And you know this part very well. I don't want to go over it too closely. But there's this interaction between Joshua, the commander of the Hebrews, and Jesus himself. And Jesus himself asks Joshua to take the sandal off his feet, off his foot. And we know from looking at other passages of the Bible and the context that there's this moment where a person is asked to take the sandal off their foot and it's, it's a sign of submission. It's a sign of handing over their rights to another person. And so Joshua takes the sandal off his foot and he offers it to Jesus. And in doing so, he hands over the whole army of God to Jesus as commander. And I think in our day, it's a blessing for us, it's a benefit for us, it's a challenge for us to once again say for our church, the church in Victoria, the church in Australia, will we again hand over our rights to Jesus? Will we let him be the commander of this army? Will we we decide that it's his word, that it's his leadership, it's his spirit that we're going to follow? It's not the culture of the world that we're going to begin to appease, but it's God as leader of this army that we're going to follow, that we're going to allow to be our leader. And I really believe that as Joshua humbled himself before Jesus Christ on the plains of Jericho, that the cracks began to appear in those impenetrable walls. And so Joshua, following again the Lord's command, sent his army to march around the walls of Jericho. Six days, then seven days. And they call this, the, the commentaries call this the seven days of grace. After Noah built the ark, it was seven days before the rain fell. So there was this this seven day gap where it was like God Himself was hovering over the land, just waiting perhaps for somebody else to repent. And in Noah's time, of course, you know the story, and, and, and there, weren't, there wasn't another family that, that repented, that, that gave in their lives to God, and so then the floods came. But in this case, there were these seven days of grace while they marched around the city. And we know that they were quiet for six days, and then on the seventh they gave a great shout. But I think of that quiet time when they were marching around one day, then the second day, then the third day. And perhaps God was waiting for just one family or just one man apart from Rahab or just one group of people to come to the city walls and say, I give in, I lay my life down, I admit that this is the God of heaven and earth who's come, who's surrounding us, who's come to do battle with us and I have made some mistakes, I, I have followed the wrong course and today I'll give in my life to Jehovah. Jehovah. But in those seven days, there was not one who changed their direction and gave their life to God. And I sort of wonder in our lives, perhaps even thinking about us and our families or the people right in this room, as the trumpets are starting to blow, as we can hear the imminent arrival of Jesus. Is there one person in this room today whom God is calling out to? that he's in this period of grace, this seven days of grace. How do we know that it's going to last any longer than seven days? We don't. Jesus will return. And have you made up your mind? Or are you still hiding behind the walls of your life or the walls of Jericho? Is it time perhaps to put up your hand and say, yes, I'll submit to Jesus. I'll accept him as my Lord and Saviour and I'll change the direction of my life. I'll lay my heart down before him. And then, of course, on the seventh day, when the trumpets blew and the voices lifted in a great shout, it was too late for the people of Jericho. And the army ran in. The historians or the archaeologists say that the, The walls fell down like a ramp because of the the slope, the three walls. It fell down like a ramp and the people of Israel, the Hebrews, just ran up in there and they destroyed everything that breathed except for one section of the wall which still stood and that was the house of Rahab. I want to talk about Rahab and then Jesus before I finish. Rahab draws my heart because I think of a woman in the most evil city on earth who's perhaps been forced into prostitution. We know around the world today that many young girls and some boys are forced into prostitution because of economic circumstances. And I suspect that Rahab may have been a prostitute, a young prostitute for that very reason. We know that she sold her body for sex. We, th- we know a little bit about the terrible, uh, terrible sexual immorality of that city. The fact that they sacrificed their own children. It was an incredibly terrible, destructive, evil place. And I can't even begin to imagine what it would have been like to be a young prostitute in that city at that time. And Rahab was the only person, as I said, who had faith in our God, faith in Yahweh. She was the one who admitted that it was this God, this incredible God, this powerful God, this God, this creator, who was coming to liberate or destroy her city. She was a traitor to her people, and she was in extreme danger. She was the only one who who stood against the crowd, She was the only one who was prepared to admit and follow God. She was the only one to deny the direction that her whole city was taken. And maybe there'll be something in her life that inspires me. Maybe if a young girl, that's an incredible difficult spot, a really awful uh, place that she lived and worked But maybe there's something about this young woman that could inspire us to stand in our time against an evil culture. Maybe there's some iron that will come from her that might just come into our hearts and our lives and give us enough strength to get by this next day, this next week, this next year until Jesus returns. Maybe like Rahab, we'll find something in our faith which will, which will form us into a rebel of our own time, a rebel for Jesus, a rebel for God, someone to stand up and become a powerful force for him. Whatever it was, it was her faith. And she was courageous for God. She hid the spies. She made a decision to be a traitor. I imagine that at that time, because the Hebrews were just across the other side of the river, that most of the people of Jericho would have been out on the banks of the River Jordan. I can imagine that I would have been if there was a ferocious army only about 400 metres across the water, which is what they say the River Jordan would have been. It's very deep there, but not very wide. And it would have been very easy to see the army on the other side, all these tents. Perhaps they would have been able to hear, or they would have been able to hear this big hubbub of millions of people camped just across there on the other bank. Perhaps they could hear swords being sharpened or spears being sharpened, even the the sound of the stone on the blade. They would have seen smoke rising from the cooking fires. They would have seen various activities happening and perhaps the confidence of an army that had just destroyed some Moabite kings that had just left the land waste of people. Such a powerful and really terrible army just on the other side of the river. And perhaps they would have been really grateful that the river was in flood right then. And at least there was this security of knowing that the army couldn't get across to the plains of Jericho. And as they were gathered on the bank there one day, they saw this little group of people come marching down to the water's edge, quite separated from the rest of Israel. And I wonder what they thought when this small group of people actually walked into the water and stood on the water's edge. And then, suddenly, to their incredible surprise and fear, the waters began to part. And it wasn't just a little group of people that was standing in the edge of the water, but it was the incredible power of God, a God that they, that they, they always feared would come, a God that they didn't worship themselves, a God whom they'd heard went before this army of Israel and, just, and made it an incredible, powerful force. This God who is now big enough, to actually split the waters of this swollen river. And suddenly, can you imagine, I know what it's like in worship when we we really start to feel the power of God. And it might be just at home when you're praying, you might be just reading your scriptures and suddenly you feel revelation and the power of God. And I'm sure you've all felt an incredible anointing at times that just wants to sort of knock you over. But what about when the earth itself starts to move? What about when nature itself bows to the power of this almighty God and this river just begins to part and pile up right up there near the city of Adam and the army of Israel starts to march across and suddenly the very thing that was protecting them is no longer there. They would have turned and they would have run back into their city because at last they're going to need these city walls, these incredible walls that they've built against all the hordes that might come against them, this mighty wall. And at least they still had the wall and they slammed their gates shut and they got their army, their trembling army ready because the Hebrews were now on their side of the river. And Rahab, suddenly 150% sure that the city was going to fall. Racing around the city, gathering every member of her family because she remembered well the promise that if she could get her family inside her house under this scarlet cord, then her family would be safe. They'd made a promise And so she would have been pleading with her family, dragging her family members. Remember, she was the one with faith. She would have been persuading, doing whatever she could do, whatever was within her power to get her family, her mother, her father, her brothers, her sisters, her nieces, her nephews, every member of her family into her house because she knew for certain that was the only safe place in Jericho under the blood of Jesus Christ under the blood is the only safe place in the whole of this world under the blood with the scarlet cord hanging out of every part of our body the blood washing over us the blood that Jesus Christ shed to give us life the only real security And with this, this Marxist, this socialist, this communist push that's transforming the Western world, it's not just Australia. Canada has gone far worse. Other countries in a similar way. But this anti-Christ move across our, across our whole, the whole structure of our society can never defeat the blood of Jesus Christ over our lives, the salvation that we have for a sure promise. And she got her family in to her house, every last one of them. And her window looked out over the plain. And I like to think that her window was quite large because I imagine that every member of the family wanted to be watching what was happening on the plains of Jericho. So I'm seeing about 20 heads all all crammed in this window watching the Hebrews as they start their action around the city. All, you know, chattering and excited and fearful and, and, and all the emotions that go with being attacked by a foreign army. And they watched the Hebrews go around one time, the first day, the trumpets blowing and strangely the warriors quiet. Nothing else happened. The second day, same thing. And I think by the the third or fourth or fifth or sixth day, perhaps they were wondering, well, is this what it's going to be? This doesn't seem too bad. Are they just going to march? Are they just going to blow their trumpets? But of course the Hebrews, with the commander of the host as their leader, went from six, man's number, into seven. They went into seven. They went into the supernatural stage. And we can live in a natural world. We can have all the comforts of our... Civilization, but until we move into the supernatural... We'll never see every wall of our city, every wall of the obstacles around us come crumbling down. But we do. We do move into the seventh. You are a people who know the power of the Holy Spirit. You long to move into the seventh day. You long to move into the seventh moment with Jesus, this supernatural place where we live every day in his power, expecting something amazing to happen that's beyond what man can do. And for me, you know, now hoping to go into politics not because i want to be a member of parliament no 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 not at all so that i can lift my voice so that i can add my my persuasion so that i can bring up the name of jesus in politics so that i can be his his member of parliament that i can be unafraid of telling the truth in politics a further dying of myself And the seventh day and the trumpets blew and they shouted and the walls collapsed, just collapsed, just collapsed. The walls of our lives, the obstacles of our lives just collapse when God moves. The healing that we need, sickness just collapses. The prosperity we need, poverty just collapses when God moves. And the only part that remained was Rahab's house. What would it have been like for her in the house that remained when everything else fell, when everything crumbled, when this great shaking happened? I think the cracks would have been appearing in her roof, in her walls, in the floor. She was built into the wall. And yet the wall crumbled. The wall fell. It would have been shaking and, and vibrating. And I'm sure they were just on the floor crying and wailing and, and, and terrified. And yet, in the end, God's power held that house together. It was only God's power. God had promised, God had chosen that that house would remain while every other part of the wall collapsed. And for our house in Christ, surely it is God's power that keeps our house. Surely it is God's power, no matter what shakes our culture, what shakes our society, what shakes your family. It's God's power that will hold your family together. It's God's power that will reunite your family. The word for somebody there. It's God's power that will bring your family into the house. And it's God's power that will keep your family when this world shakes to pieces. And then there was a crying and a wailing in the city because the Hebrews had just run in with their swords sharp and they killed everything that breathed. There was an incredible cry that went up from the city. And it just seemed to go on and on and on, this killing. And then Rahab was startled by somebody at the door. Somebody standing in her doorway, someone who'd come. And this person was covered in blood, was drenched in blood from head to foot. There was this apparition in her doorway. It was the most frightening thing she'd ever seen, just drenched and dripping with blood. And then she looked again. And she noticed through the blood as it fell from his face that this was Salmon that she'd met before. This was Salmon come to take her out, but now he was covered in the blood of the massacre. He was covered in the blood of the sinners that had been destroyed. This whole nation of people that God had suddenly struck and killed. And Salmon was there. And he reached out his hand, his bloody hand, and she reached out hers and he lifted her up and she took, he took her out of there and led her family out to safety. Rahab, that day, after the battle was finally over, was granted... A strong portion of that land she went in one day from being a prostitute taken advantage of by so many in the city to becoming a landowner when Jesus gave away his life he was eventually given a position of power at the right hand of God over all the universe and every knee will bow before him. When we give our lives, when we take a risk and we lay it down before God, when we follow the destiny that God has planned for us and we seem to be giving it all away, but there's this moment when suddenly God lifts us up into the place of blessing again. And Rahab As she settled into life with the Hebrews, the victorious army married one of those Hebrews. She married a warrior. She married a man of some standing and his name was Salmon. Beautiful love story revealed in the scriptures. The man who came to rescue her. And over a period of time, they had a son. His name was Boaz. I'm sure many of you know this story. Boaz, perhaps the type in the scriptures most like Jesus. Boaz, their firstborn son. What an incredible man, the man who married Ruth, the type of the church. They had a son also called Obed Obed had a son called Jesse and you probably guessed that Jesse had a son also called David King David King David the man after God's own heart came out of Rahab's womb King David perhaps the most one of the most influential godly men ever to exist on earth the man who brought victory to the Hebrews so that they commanded the whole known world. David came out of Rahab's womb. After David, the lines split into two. And after a long period of time, there were two more quite influential people that came out of Rahab's womb. Their names were Joseph and Mary. Who nurtured Jesus Rahab and her children impacted the earth perhaps like nobody else ever had or ever will aside from Jesus himself she changed the course of history and lastly Jesus it was his appearance on the plains of Jericho that changed everything it was his Being commander of the army of the Lord that changed this whole circumstance I think about Jesus when he came for me some 30 or more years ago I think about how he came for my family I think about how he came to rescue me and I think of Jesus and when I look at Jesus and I see him coming into my doorway when there's so much destruction and so much evil and so much death going on over the earth. He came because he cared for me, because he loved me, because he wanted to rescue me. And I see Jesus in the doorway and I see also that he, just like Salmon, is drenched in blood. He's covered in blood from head to foot. I see this bloody apparition and I wonder what it is when I first see him. And then I get to know him and I realize that this is Jesus and the blood that's covering him this time is not the blood of the sinners and it's not the destruction of the sinners. But this time it's the blood that Jesus shed from his own body so that every sinner on earth might be saved. And he's come for me and I'm not rescued because of the works that I've done, because I've hidden some spies or anything good that I would ever possibly do. But he's come just out of grace because he loves me and he wants to save me. And he gave his own life. He died. He let it go. He was brutally attacked and viciously whipped and beaten so he could shed That blood to be my rescuer and he took me out and he prospered me and he prospered my family and he gave me a future and potential to be involved in the history of Christianity and lastly I think of Jesus on the plains of Jericho And I think of the reasons why he was there. Yes, to set history in motion. To do some things so that the Hebrew history would always be recognised by amazing miracles and incredible victories. But I think as I sort of dream in the spirit that the main reason he was there at that twilight time was because there was one woman suffering in an evil city. And his heart was reaching out to that lonely, damaged, awfully abused woman, Rahab. And he reached into the city of Jericho. And his love reached into the city of Jericho. And his love lifted her. His love protected her. His love drew her out. His love gave her a new start, a new life. And he knew that one day, her daughter, many generations down, Would give birth to him and bring him into the world to save every sinner from death. Can you stand, please? I'd like to pray over you. Maybe there's, just close your eyes, maybe there's somebody here. Maybe it's your day. to change the direction of your life. Maybe you've been a a strong, courageous warrior, but somehow you've got locked behind the walls of unbelief or of resistance against God. Maybe there's some things that have hurt you or damaged you or kept you separate from him. And I'm asking every person in this room to consider your own heart. What if Jesus has come today to set you free, to put you on a new road, to pluck you out of the city of evil that you've been possessed by? He wants to save you. He wants to give you a destiny in the history of the world. Is there one person here today who would accept Jesus Christ as Savior for the very first time? If that's you, I'd like to know who you are. I'm asking you to put up your hand. Just slip up your hand. If you've never belonged to Jesus Christ, you'd like to today. If you want to come back to Jesus, if circumstances have bound you, if the walls of defeat or sickness, or adversity have bound you if you've become impenetrable to God over a period of time and you'd like to return if you'd like to meet him on the plains of Jericho and renew your faith today if that's you I'd like you to lift up your hand thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you many of you Put your hands down. Thank you. Today is your day. Not just Father's Day. It's your day. For all those I saw with your hands raised like that, I'm just going to pray over you. Father, in Jesus' name, as those hearts opened up again to Jesus, to you, Lord, I pray, Father, come in and rock their world again. Come in and set them on a path for victory and destiny like they've never known before. And Lord, for every person in this congregation today, I pray, Jesus, transform our lives. Help us to rise up into the calling that is upon us and become the powerful weapons, the powerful forces the warriors that you called us to be, that we might fall in love again. Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Lord. God, we just thank you that you have chosen us or that you came for us. Oh, God, you have done it all for us. Lord, it's nothing that we have done as Peter share, God, but it's, Lord, because of your love, it's because of your sacrifice, it's because of your grace for us. And, God, we we surrender to you this morning. Lord, we humble ourselves. We lay down ourselves. we, We ask, Lord, that you would break down any walls in our heart that we have put up. Lord, that you might come in, that you might cleanse our heart again, Lord God. Renew a right spirit within me. Give us your heart, your desires, your attitudes. Lord God, I just pray for empowering and emboldening Lord of us, your people, God. That Lord, as even Rahab stood up and and, and sheltered those spies and, and worked with you, Lord, that Lord we would work with you. That we would not be ashamed, that we would not be afraid, that we would not be scared. But Lord that we would trust that you are able. That Lord you are you are the one who has won the victory, Lord God that we would stand for you, that we would stand with you, that we would stand strengthened by you, Lord God, and that we would know that you have overcome and that we stand in your strength, we stand for your glory, that we stand as one body for Christ. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What an awesome God we serve. Thank you, Peter, for that message. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if you have responded to that message, and you would love someone to pray with you this morning. Please, would you come? And we'd love to pray with you. If you'd like someone to continue to pray with you, if you're happy as you are, and you just want to bless someone else, feel free to do that too. But uh, we want to worship God. We just want to praise Him for who He is and what He's done for us as we close with this song now. If you'd like prayer this morning, maybe there's something else happening in your life. If you'd love some prayer this morning, please, please come as we sing. I think we sing God is able. And He certainly is. He is able to do all things. Let's praise Him. Let's worship Him. Let's thank Him. I lift him up right now. Thank you, Jesus.